Thanks for listening to the Trout Legends Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Nick Salsky. Nick is the Chief Commercial Officer at PointsBet Canada, one of the world's fastest-growing sports betting platforms and on the leading edge of the nascent iGaming industry here in Ontario. As it became clear that Canada was beginning to legalize and regulate its iGaming market, the Australian gaming operator PointsBet wanted its first Canadian employee to be someone who bleeds red and white, so they found someone who literally has a maple leaf tattooed on his back. From playing on international rugby pitches to being the face of the family channel, to starting and successfully exiting the American daily fantasy sports platform, Monkey Knife Fight, Nick has had a very interesting entrepreneurial journey. Welcome, Nick, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Wow, Andrew, first off, um, it's a great honor to, to join you. I, I wouldn't necessarily classify myself as, as a legend, but I, I, appreciate, uh, I appreciate that descriptor. And thank you for that that introduction. You clearly have done some research, which which um, which I respect gratefully. Um, usually, my research involves LinkedIn stalking, but you definitely have dug a little bit deeper. So I am I'm doing fantastic. A little warm, a little humid these days. Um, I am sitting here at my home office on the top floor of my house in the beautiful neighborhood of Young and Eglinton. Was here for over gosh, lived here for over seventeen years, and. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm really excited to join you. I've I've had a I've had a great pleasure listening to a bunch of your podcasts over the last few months with a number of folks that I would consider friends and 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 other people that I look up to. So yeah, I'm 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 truly honored to uh, to join you today. Well, it's my pleasure to have you. And let's start with some background on the Ontario casino and sports betting industry. What is iGaming? What was Bill C two eighteen? And what happened on April fourth, twenty twenty two? Those are those are really good questions, Andrew. Okay, so iGaming, the 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 easiest way to think about iGaming is any form of digital gambling. So you have sports books, sports betting, and you also have online casino. Online casino involves everything from live blackjack to slot like live slots. That that pretty much is the general umbrella of of what the word iGaming really refers to. I. I I would also add that some people would classify any real money gaming as a part of iGaming, but I I truly believe it's sports betting and online casino is really the two core tenants there. Now, second question was Bill C-218. Bill C-218 was the federal legislation that decriminalized single event sports betting in Canada. Now, Bill C-218 formally passed in the summer of 2020. And what that uh, enabled provinces to do on a province-by-province basis was to launch legal regulated sports, single event sports betting and online casino under a regime called, I mean, I guess you could define it as conduct and manage, but ultimately what it means is there's a provincial regulatory body that would license operators to offer regulated, protected online casino and sports betting to customers within that province. April 4th, 2022 was the day where Ontario became the first Canadian province to officially go live with legal regulated single event sports betting and online casino in Canada. That will give your listeners a snapshot 
of how insane the last 18 months or so has been where time has literally stopped in my world. Well, let's fast forward from that April 2022. In that period, how many live iGaming sites are there now in Ontario and how many individual operators are behind these sites? That's a, another really good question. There is over there is over 70 live sites currently in Ontario encompassing encompassing both sports betting and online casino. And I believe and and this is not a number I I it changes literally week to week, month to month. I believe those 70 sites, there are over 40 operators involved in in managing those 70 sites. As you can appreciate, some operators could have multiple casino products. Some operators um, have an independent uh, sports book and an independent casino operator. There's been some consolidation in the market. So some kind of call it umbrella corporations have a number of different a number of different entities operating, but I think it's over 70 uh, sites, over 40 operators. And Ontario today, I believe, is the most competitive iGaming jurisdiction on planet Earth, which is lots of fun to deal with when you're a challenger brand operator in this province. Very competitive, very robust. And Nick, before I uh, let you leave this primer segment of the podcast, I got a few more for you. What is iGaming Ontario? What is the role of the AGCO, the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario? And what is the role of the OLG, the Ontario Lottery and Gaming Corporation? Wow. Okay. This is like, that's a, that's like another good question. I wasn't really uh, prepared for. Okay. So first off, the AGCO and IGO, AGCO, Alcohol Gaming Commission of Ontario, IGO, iGaming Ontario, they are collectively our regulators and our most important, every operator's most important partners. iGaming Ontario provides the regulations and oversight for all of the operations and financial controls of our business. Whereas the Alcohol Gaming Commission of Ontario, they are the overarching licensing body and regulatory body when it comes to everything from uh, marketing to uh, responsible gaming and consumer protections. Now, the OLG, which is the Ontario Lottery and Gaming Corporation, they are the provincially owned and operated iGaming company. They own and operate Proline Plus, which is their sports betting product, and then they have, uh, you know, they have their online casino. They are a competitor of PointsBet, right? Um, they are the biggest. Um, they are one of, if not the biggest, operator in Ontario at the moment. You know, they have been and they have been obviously operating for decades and they are akin to the BCLC, which is in or sorry, the BC Lottery Corporation has a uh, has a group um, has a product called Play Now, which is their form of the OLG Pro line. Alberta has Play Alberta. So ultimately, every the, the, the ALC, the Atlantic Lottery Corporation has their own online casino and iGaming products. So ultimately, the OLG is our provincial competitor, put it that way. Excellent background, Nick. That's a great primer. Before we go back in time to learn about your interesting background, let's start with your current role. On June 8, 2021, you became Chief Commercial Officer and employee number one at PointsBet Canada. What is PointsBet Canada? PointsBet Canada is the... It's complicated, Ken, because PointsBet... The Points Bet American Division 
was recently acquired by Fanatics um, in the U.S., by Fanatics Betting and Gaming. And by recently, I mean three and a half, four weeks ago. So Points Bet Canada now, along with our Australian counterparts, is now an internationally operating iGaming company based in Australia with a Canadian division headquartered in downtown Toronto, right at 315 Queen Street West, right next to the, the city, the, the Chum Building, which it's really, it's, a, it's an incredible location. We are one of the biggest and fastest growing iGaming companies um, in Ontario. We operate only in the regulated and licensed market. So we do not offer our product outside of the, regula- the, the regulated framework of Ontario. We are the official partners of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. So that includes the Raptors, the Leafs, TFC, the Argos, um, Raptors 905, and the Marlies. Um, we are the official partner of the Ottawa Red Blacks um, with uh, the f- great folks at Overt OSEG. We're the official partners of Curling Canada, which has become a sport and a group extraordinarily near and dear to my heart. We're also the official partners of Clublink, the National uh, Hockey League Player uh, Alumni Association, excuse me. And then we've done a lot of other kind of smaller partnership deals and, and, and groups and stuff. So, yeah, we are a, a very much a challenger brand in the Ontario gaming space that is attempting to build as authentically Canadian brand identity as possible to connect on the grassroots and ground floor level with the amazing sports fans across Ontario. Because ultimately, as anyone listening to your podcast can appreciate, an Ontario sports fan is extraordinarily different than a sports fan, not only in in Alberta, but in other parts of the world. And I would also argue that an Ottawa sports fan is significantly different than a Toronto sports fan who's different than a Sarnia sports fan, right? So we are really trying to take a local lens to this industry because not many other operators have decided to do that uh, and have shown an interest in actually kind of respecting our patriotic joy of Canadian sport fandom. Well, let's talk about that. You are a live betting product. Your brand strategy has been to wrap yourself in the Canadian flag. And as you note, Nick, to be authentically Canadian, how have you been able to implement this strategy? Well, another another great question, Andrew. I think that, you know, the the tack that we that we took in the early days was deciding to try and because now I'll step back a second. Prior to the regulated market launching in Ontario. There was something that a lot of operators like myself would call the gray market. Now, what the gray market means is operators who were who are not regulated provincially, but were offering sports betting and eye gaming to uh, Ontario sports fans. And candidly, there is a significant gray market that still exists across the country. And one of the core tenants around why regulating sports betting on a provincial level is important is because the gray market sports betting operators do not pay tax. They do not have locked in consumer protections, responsible gaming, compulsory regulations. Candidly, the the user is not as protected and the province is not able to participate in the net proceeds that iGaming can bring to the provincial coffers. So... This is one of the reasons why 
we believe other provinces should follow the you know incredible success that EGCO and IGO have have led Ontario to to be. So prior to April fourth, twenty twenty two, there was a thriving iGaming market in Ontario that were you know that was uh, where the OLG was the only kind of regulated and legal entity. So on April fourth, twenty twenty two, when the countless other operators launched. We knew, uh, and PointsBet was in a position where we didn't have a pre-existing database. So all of the gray market operators that had existed in Ontario prior to April 4th had all of their users. There were a number of companies that had um, a daily fantasy sports product. So they had a big database of users. There were other organizations that had brick and mortar casino rewards and database. They had people that they could market their product to immediately. There were other groups that had significant media presence and a media brand that they could then market their sports betting product to, an iGaming product to. PointsBet was one of the only operators that started on April 4th with zero database. So leading into that, we knew we had to do something to try and break through. And we decided early on to lean into a uh, a partnership strategy so we could build our brand identity, grow some brand trust alongside some of the most trusted sporting associations, teams, leagues in Ontario, because ultimately we wanted to try and create a connection with the passionate fans and audiences of those those groups, those those fandoms, hoping that their audience would notice points bet, you know, building brand awareness and brand consideration is really one of the most important things to think about when you're building a new brand. Because ultimately points bet in Canada was an unknown brand prior to April 4th, 2022. So we also enlisted the services of a, uh, of, of a dynamic Canadian comedy group that many of your listeners would know is the trailer park boys, the trailer park boys, have the second longest running, and, and, and don't quote me on this, but this is what I, I what I've I've learned to understand is Trailer Park Boys had had have the longest running show in Canadian television history, the longest running show in Canadian television history being Hockey Night in Canada. So we decided that the Trailer Park Boys, being authentically Canadian, having a level of irreverency, and if there's one thing that my career there is a constant in my career. It's around using a reverency and humor to help build brand. So the Trailer Park Boys ended up becoming a really great launch partner and fit for us as we tried to introduce our new brand to the Ontario and, candidly, the Canadian sports fan. Well, very clearly, Nick, simply slapping your logo on TV ads is not your marketing strategy at points bet. You talked about some of these great partnerships slash sponsorships slash brand ambassadors, Alpine Canada, Curling Canada, Trailer Park Boys, NHL Alumni Association. But the biggest of the big has to be MLSE, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. It's just fantastic, I would assume, to be with such a big brand and such a big organization. Well, and you nailed it. I mean, I would argue that MLSE is the biggest and most important franchise owner in North America, primarily because they are the only group that controls four major professional teams all within one 
pilot, one one ownership group all within one location. There are a number of other North American ownership groups that have um, control of, of, of a number of sports properties, but those sports properties aren't all within one location. So MLSE, I think quite literally has... 365 days a year of live sporting events when you when you cover all of those major sports. So not only are the Toronto Maple Leafs the most iconic franchise in the NHL, and I say that as a native Montrealer. So believe me, I know I will take a lot of flack for that. So obviously being able to attach our logo, or I shouldn't say attach, to connect our growing brand identity to that of the Toronto Maple Leafs was uh, an incredible opportunity. But, you know, you can't think about MLSC without giving a lot of love and respect to the defending Grey Cup champion Toronto Argonauts. The CFL is a growing sport and a lot of folks don't necessarily consider Ontario a CFL hotspot. But ultimately, it's a downtown summer stadium of one of the most bet on sports in North America. And they also happen to be the defending great cup champion, which is incredible. TFC and soccer. I mean, I don't think any sport has grown over the last few years. Like soccer has grown in this country. Yes. Some of it is due to the world cup, but also some of it is due to some of the incredible international players that TFC has, has brought um, into the city. And then of course the Toronto Raptors, which is a nat, which is the nation's basketball team. And, you know, when most people think about sports betting, they typically believe that football betting, especially NFL betting, is the end all be all. Actually, NBA is at least, if not in my opinion, a more important gambling entity for us or gambling sport for us because there's just so many more games. And for us in Ontario, we have a home team that we get to root for. So let's just say the, the, the partnership with Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment was definitely not an easy one to get over the finish line. But with the incredible folks at MLSC, I think we have constructed a really compelling relationship. And, you know, my philosophy around partnerships where, you know, year one is a bit of a test and learn. You don't really know, you don't know what you don't know, right? Um, You really got to learn what elements of the relationship and of the partnership drive value for each of us, which don't. Um, Year two becomes the refinement. Year two becomes the the, the focus on and the, the leveraging the learnings from year one. And then year three on is in my opinion, the explosion. So we're really still at the at the early stages of our incredible relationship with MLSC and with our other partners. But yeah, that MLSC partnership kind of put us on the map. I mean, let's face it, right? Kudos to you. I think it's a fantastic partnership. And like you say, if you don't look in the short term, you got to look in the long term. Now we know all about Points Bet Canada. It's a great introduction. Let's go all the way back and get the Nick Solsky story. Right off the bat, you are an interesting fellow, Born in Montreal, grew up in Los Angeles, went to university in Sackville, New Brunswick, played rugby for Canada at the Maccabee Games in Australia. There's a lot here, but I guess the start of your career was actually in film and television. Yeah, it was. And and uh, and, and I'll just make one correction. The Maccabee Games was actually in Israel. 
They're in Israel every four years. But after I played for Canada for in rugby at the Maccabee Games, I actually went to Australia right after uh, the tournament to continue playing rugby. And what I learned very quickly um, after being a, I, I would say, an above average um, rugby player in Canada, going to Australia and playing rugby was a little bit of a rude awakening. Um, let's just say an above average Canadian rugby player, I would say would be a kind of a, a, a two tier below average rugby player in Australia. So my my rugby my rugby playing days in Australia were short lived, but I I was able to enjoy about a year and a half there traveling around and working, which was incredible. So I started my career in film and television. Uh, of course, after getting a, a uh, an honors degree in history and a religious studies from Mount Allison University in in Sackville, so of course that makes sense. So I was a uh, uh, I was in my early twenties and I was obsessed with uh, becoming a member of the incredible film and entertainment industry. I came up with an idea for a kid's television show. I was able to raise a little bit of money. Um, and without knowing what I was doing, I assembled a crew and we uh, traveled around and 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 filmed um, a, a television show that unfortunately never saw the light of day. But that first television show enabled me to um, get a proper introduction with a number of the Canadian broadcasters one of which was the Family Channel and by Astral at the time. And uh, the Family Channel was looking for somebody to rebrand their uh, their network. Um, and, and branding is kind of has become my kind of my, I guess my 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 favorite, the favorite aspect of my career. Um, so they were looking for someone to rebrand their network. And um, I pitched them a concept of a show involving uh, myself and a number uh, and a couple of puppets. Uh, traveling from coast to coast, um, talking to kids and celebrities and other assorted people um, right across the country, and uh, they 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 bought they bought the idea and the concept involved taking a jar of water. Well, the concept, mind you, and for the audience that is of our ilk, they'll remember the movie "What About Bob" with Bill Murray. And in that movie, Bill Murray uh, had a goldfish around his neck. One of my favorite, I think, one of the most underrated comedies of all time. And so ultimately, the concept of the show was myself and these two puppets, one being our driver, one being my co-explorer. We took a jar of water from the Atlantic Ocean in Peggy's Cove, Nova Scotia, and we literally drove the Trans-Canada Highway across the country and to pour that water in the Pacific Ocean to see what would happen. And all along the way, we would stop like Canadian landmarks and you know, we would talk to Canadian kids and, and, and again, celebrities and ask them, what do you think what will happen when we mix Atlantic Ocean water with the Pacific Ocean? And that was the beginning of my career, was that kids' television show. Oh, I don't know you from there, but I do know you from <laughs> TSN's Off the Record with Michael Landsberg. Nick, you've appeared more than 50 times, and you made a connection there with producer Bob Makowitz that led you directly into the world of fantasy sports via creation of the Fantasy Hockey Report. What was this all about? So actually, the, the Bob, who was the producer at Off the Record when I first started doing uh, that am amazing show, Bob actually left, and his replacement was a guy by the name of Todd Hayes. Todd was the producer, and at that point, um, this was, oh man, mid-2000s, mid I was... At that point, I'd become really obsessed with fantasy sports, season-long fantasy sports. 
to be specific. And, and Todd was as well. And there, at that point, there was no online, there was no content, really. No video content. There was no, it's not like fantasy sports is today. Um, obviously, technology has in, enabled the e explosion of that sport, both from a technology perspective, but also from a content perspective. But we uh, aligned and collaborated on convincing the powers that be at TSN to allow us to produce, and I ended up hosting alongside Canadian fantasy legend Scott Cullen, the Fantasy Hockey Report, of which was the first broadband or the first online fantasy sports show, I, I believe, in the world. And so the Fantasy Hockey Report uh, lasted for a couple of years. And yeah, that was that was an incredible experience. Got to really dive into the world of, of fantasy and sports content. And I mean, that that at that time, I was a I was a content producer and content director. And what I had learned as a producer was what you really want to do is focus and feature things that you're passionate about. Really, if if you're able to bring your level of excitement and love to a project, that project is only going to be better. It's only going to be easier to connect with an audience if they can if they can be shepherded into that world through real love and enthusiasm. And so the experience of producing and hosting the Fantasy Hockey Report really shined a light on the opportunities around mixing the, as I believed at the time, which ended up being true, the upside of fantasy sports content and fantasy sports adoption in the media space with the building tech, techno, technology and innovation within the fantasy world. So that actually sparked the idea that led me to my very first startup, which I imagine would be your next question. So I guess I, I kind of beat you to that punch and I apologize. I end up talking a lot. You didn't beat me to the punch, but you led in beautifully. You're like a mind reader, Nick. That first startup was called InGamer. It was actually incubated at Mars. And I want to ask you, what is Mars and how was your Mars experience? Wow. My Mars experience, I mean, it was... It was incredible uh, for for so many different reasons. Uh, now, I will admit, I have I have not stayed up to date with what Mars is today, but I, I don't think it has changed uh, a lot. Mars is a uh, provincially funded incubator accelerator to a certain degree. When I was with Mars, what they did for InGamer is you know we had to apply, um, and we were able to gain access and support from some of the smartest technologists, innovators, uh, business strategists in, in how to build, how to properly build a company. So Mars was part kind of community incubator. Now I keep using that word incubator, but really what an incubator is, is where you have a number of incredible companies across a number of different disciplines. And I do believe Mars is, is pivoted more into the kind of the medical and the biotech realm, but I do believe there's probably still some fintech roots, and that's fully on me. I, I should have done a much better job staying connected with the incredible folks at Mars, but unfortunately, you know, it's been a busy it's been a busy decade or a decade and a half since Ingamer. But walking into Mars, my co-founder and I had I had never built a business before. You know, I built television shows. I had worked in you know I I'd created content. But I'd never built a business model. I'd never built a you know a you know go to market strategy. I'd never raised money before. So what they were able to do is really they they helped me at the most granular level 
start taking the steps that I needed to take to actually become, well, first a, a multiple failed entrepreneur, but then ultimately a successful entrepreneur. And any 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 entrepreneur, and I would say successful, I mean somewhat successful. I mean, ultimately, you learn the most through failure. So Mars enabled us and and helped us understand that first of all, right? Uh, Mars also opened us up and 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 was able to connect us into networks that uh, have people that ha- that still remain very near and dear to my heart, including my current boss, uh, the chief executive officer of PointsBet Canada, Scotty Vanderwell, was actually uh, a volunteer advisor through Mars of InGamer, that first startup. So I've known Scotty for, man, over a decade and a half. And so, you know, I'm a people, I mean, I do believe very much uh, in being, um, you know, in being a people person, right? I believe in, uh, I, I'm an if you don't ask, you don't get kind of person. So I I believe fully in, you know, putting yourself out there. If you're scared of the word no, well, you probably don't really want to be an entrepreneur. So ultimately, um, I, I'm a people collector to a certain degree, right? And and I very much look back at those early days at Mars and they really helped me understand what it takes to build a business because it's not just a great idea. There's so many other things that have to come into play for an idea to work. Because if you talk to anybody who's ever tried to start a business, you know, most businesses do fail. But the things that you learn from those businesses, that for a lot of people is actually the most value you get out of those early businesses. You got to put in your time. And Nick, you certainly did. In addition to InGamer, you had startups with Sport Tech, Draft Day Gaming Group. Then we got to the one that you're probably most well known for, with financial backing from the owner of the adult entertainment company Vivid Entertainment, a guy named Bill Asher. In 2018, you built the fantasy sports disruptor Monkey Knife Fight, starting from scratch into the third largest daily fantasy sports company in North America. And after only two and a half years, sold to a small little company known as the Bally's Corporation for 90 million U.S. dollars in January 2021. Now let's start from the beginning, as they say. Monkey Knife Fight is a reference to a Simpsons episode in which Homer borrows Mr. Burns' yacht and Burns' pet monkey, Furious George, ends up being engaged in a monkey knife fight. Nick, how did you decide that Monkey Knife Fight would be your company name, and did you ever hear from the legal department at Fox Television? Huh. Huh. I've been asked asked that question many times. But I've never, I've never been asked if Fox ever reached out uh, in relation to any kind of trademark or IP infringement based on Montgomery Burns' incredible international yacht sporting events. So yeah, the the name. Well, I mean, Bill Asher, who you referenced, I can't speak more highly about another person, another entrepreneur, another leader than I can about Bill. I learned so much from from Bill. Uh, both personally and and then professionally, but so Bill, <laughs> the story of the name. So Bill owns, uh, apart from being um, uh, a part owner of Vivid, and you know he has a a varied career. Uh, Bill owns a number of bars and restaurants um, across the West Coast of the United States, and I remember as we were talking about the name of our, because we started working on what would become Monkey Night Fight. In the summer of 2017, you know, we we were building and testing just the, the actual product offering itself. 
you know, knowing that we were going to launch for the beginning of the football season in September of 2018. So uh, Bill told me that the st- we came or we, we were bouncing around a bunch of different names. And Bill said to me one day, he's like, usually the way that I name and we name our bars and restaurants is I sit down with the with the bar manager or the bar partner and they take a bottle of scotch and uh, they spend a night and they just brainstorm. Now, Bill lives in uh, Montecito, Santa Barbara, and I'm in Toronto. And uh, what we decided to do um, was instead of scotch, uh, we decided that iGaming or that the fantasy sports is more of a tequila sport. So we decided one night that we were going to you know, jump on a jump on a Skype and we were going to drink some tequila and we were just going to brainstorm some names. We're both big Simpsons fans. Now, I can't admit to remembering the specific moment that evening when that name was brought up, but I do remember the next morning when I woke up and looked at my phone and the name Monkey Knife Fight was just kind of sitting there in the back and forth text chats between the two of us. And, you know, it was just one of those things. We knew we wanted something that would stand out because when you think about the fantasy sports industry, everybody's draft this, fan this, pick this, prize this, like it's all the same stuff. You know, that that name, Monkey Knife Fight, um, it, it just... It just stood out to us. And then there were a couple other names that we were playing around with. And there was this incredible, there's this incredible design and brand agency in Northern California, uh, the uh, Cooper Levy. And we sent a, a bunch of names over to uh, to Neil Levy and Zane Cooper. And we said, okay, guys, here are some names we came up with. But yeah, think about some designs for these names. And when, you know, a week later or a week and a half later, they threw back the designs attached to the I think the three different versions of the names that we came up with. And we saw a logo for Furious George, which we then called our mascot as well, the logo. And then we were like, all right, well, we're monkey knife fight now. And uh, yeah, and I mean, it literally was the craziest, most exciting two and a half years um, of my life. And I will say here, here's an encapsulation of the story of monkey knife fight. So we, Bill and I started building Monkey Knife Fight together in in July of 2017. We only met face-to-face the first time in October of 2019, and he had already put in about $8 million of his own money. We built I built this company from my third-floor office in Toronto. By the time we sold, we were, we were, I think, 49 people, and I had only met seven people face-to-face. Like, it was such an incredible, eye-opening experience. And I will say that, again, you know, kudos to Bill and, and the incredible team. And we, we, it was, yeah, it was, I could go on and on about that experience. It was a career-defining moment, for sure. Well, you clearly like Bill Asher, but Bill Asher must clearly like you, as you note. He put $8 million into a new venture with a, you being his partner without ever having met you face-to-face just right. over Zoom calls. <laughs> right. We met for the first time. I, it, it was really interesting because there's a there's a conference every year called G2E, which is the Gla- uh, Go- Global Gaming Expo, and it's, in, and it's in Las Vegas every October. It's it's one of the biggest kind of iGaming or, or sports betting. It's not sports betting, but iGaming conferences every year. And so we decided that we were going to meet there. Uh, because we were in the process of raising money and things like that, and I just remember I, I standing uh, standing outside the door of the the suite that that he that he was staying in, and I just remember standing there, 
just about knocking, thinking, oh my goodness, Bill is going to open this door and it's going to be the first time we're standing face to face. I had no idea if he was going to be six foot four or five foot three. I, I had no idea. And the door opened and it was, but it was just like we had known each other forever, right? It was, it was, yeah, it was, it was an incredible experience. Uh, yeah, I mean, as much as I like to talk, um, I understand the extraordinary value in listening and learning. You know, I am very early in my journey from both as an entrepreneur, as a business person, as a as a parent, as a partner. Like, I think every day I want to learn something new. So tomorrow is a little bit better than today. And definitely the experience of Bill really put that into complete perspective because literally every day, not, I was not only learning from him, but learning from the other members of the team because man, you know, to build a company in two and a half years and exiting for the amount that we exited at, that doesn't happen a lot. And it, things were moving fast and furious and COVID happened right in the middle. Like it was, yeah, it was a, a whirlwind. Well, you certainly have to share with the audience to the extent you're willing to talk about it. What's the ceiling? Two and a half years from scratch, Bally's Corporation gives you a check for 90 million US dollars. I hope you went out for a nice dinner. Well, they didn't give me the check. If 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 they if I got <laughs> let's just say that that I was I was very fortunate to be, you know, one of the only shareholders of Monkey Knife. I Bill obviously being the majority shareholder because he invested all the money. But that being said, that day when the deal closed, yeah, it was a good day, man. Like, but ultimately, I'm a builder, right? Um, I I love I love this industry. I love what I do. I love building brand. I I I literally am just so excited about how, especially because I'm I've been a sports lover forever. And I don't know if I'll always work within the realm of sports, but maybe. I just love waking up every day thinking about how to make the experience of watching and enjoying sports better, more fun, more engaging. Like that, like I love the emotion I get from watching sports because to me, like that's, that's the juice, right? Like there's a very, very famous line from one of my favorite movies called Heat where the Tom Sizemore character says, you know, the action is the juice. Like, literally, the action of that emotion every day, waking up and thinking about how I can help make, you know, the experience of that person's enjoyment of watching their favorite team a little bit better. Man, oh man, like, the mo- like that, that really drives me. So, you know, a lot of people have said to me, like, well, like, did you take any time off? What'd you do? And I was like, God, no. Like, because, I mean, I, I don't think I'll ever retire. I don't think I'll ever stop. But I will say that what that day gave me, because as an entrepreneur, you fail a lot, as we talked about. So that failure for me, and that, I would say, multiple failures, and I and, and I don't I don't take the word failure as a negative. And, and, and so I, I, I want that. That's just the term that we use for businesses that don't, and you know, or projects or businesses that don't end up um, um, netting you significant pro- profits or profits at all. The multiple failures I've had in my career, they've enabled me, um, or what's enabled me to do that is the incredible support of my family, of my my wife, because ultimately, 
not everybody has the benefit of not worrying about paying rent, about not worrying about eating. I never had that fear. And and I don't for a, for a minute, any day ever um, disregard that. So what that moment when Monkey Knife Fight sold, really what that was for me, for my partner, for my family, it was just a moment to breathe. Because ultimately, it wasn't necessarily the justification of my career or anything like that, or the, see, look, it finally worked. It wasn't that at all. It was just a moment to breathe. It was like, okay, now there's a little bit of of security, right? There was a little bit of you know, we don't have to worry about what's going to happen a year from now or two years from now, right? Because I've, I've always been a risk taker. I always will be. I love that. And then part of that is, um, you know, part of that is due to, uh, uh, you know, a health condition, which, uh, you know, I, I imagine we'll probably talk about a little bit. Um, but really, that's what that moment was for me. It was just a moment to take a big breath. Don't get me wrong had a couple drinks, probably, you know, I'm not, I don't buy a lot of things, but you know, I, you know, I got the, you know, thing here and there, but yeah, that it was, it was a moment to breathe, you know? Excellent. Well, a moment to breathe, a moment to celebrate and, and your passion. So evident, Nick, I can tell you, you already know this. You're in the right business. You don't have to question that. The business of building. <laughs> if you're enjoying this Toronto Legends interview with Nick Salsky, please check out the more than 150 additional episodes available anytime. We got Terry O'Reilly, Steve Simmons, Donovan Bailey, Stu, the Grim Reaper Grimson, and Quiet Riot's Rudy Sarzo. How they did it? Directly from the Toronto Legends themselves. All episodes available 24-7, 365, wherever you get your podcasts. I want to ask if there are any correlations between the launch of the regulated sports betting industry and the launch of the regulated cannabis industry. Another another really great question. And, and what I will say is, you know, we're still only a year and a half or so post launch of the regulated iGaming industry in Ontario. But what I believe, what I think a lot of people feel is there is a lot of correlation between how the cannabis industry launched in its early days and when then what transpired, excuse me, a number of years down the road. And what what I mean by that is you know, there are now 70, as we talked about, 70 different sites, 40 odd operators. I think the wild west of the early days of the cannabis industry was very similar. Um, consolidation is going to hit, I believe, similar to cannabis, right? Where I, I believe down the road, instead of there being 70 and 40, you know, maybe there'll still be 70, but it'll be 70 and 15, or there'll be 50 and 50, you know, I, there will be a uh, inevitably there's going to be a level of consolidation that comes from the market. And we've already seen it to a certain degree. Some of, some of the smaller sites have already either closed in Ontario, have been acquired. I mean, Fanatics, as we talked about earlier, Fanatics bought our US division. So, I mean, I think inevitably we will see consolidation. So I do think that there, I think it's safe to say that as, aspect of those two industries can be correlated. But when you talk about the wider industry, we do have to give a shout out to Steve McAllister, a past guest and friend of this podcast who produces the most excellent Gaming News Canada newsletter. He also hosts an equally excellent weekly live panel discussion that you, Nick, frequently appear on, along with Steve's colleague, Mark Silver, from the Parley Media Group. Now, it sounds to me like the industry really tries to work together, despite all the operators, in fact, being competitors with each other. I think, for the most part, you're correct. 
I don't think every operator has the same sort of competitive camaraderie as others. I am a big believer that the the rising tide lifts all boats. You know, a lot of people say, keep your friends close and your enemies closer type of thing. Um, I don't necessarily uh, believe in that. Um, Our industry is so small and I, I just love people and I love learning from other folks. You know, sure, there are some operators that I like and respect more than other operators, but I think there's, again, there's so much that I personally can learn from other people because I don't, I don't, I don't know everything. Gosh, not even close. So I really genuinely like a vast majority of the other folks in this industry. I think that, um, especially, you know, in, a, in an industry that is highly competitive, I mean, ultimately, PointsBet is, we are, a challenger brand. We're not one of the top three companies. We don't have as much money or as big of a database as some of the other operators. So, you know, I I think it's really helpful for us. I think it's useful for us to be collaborative um, with some of the other more challenger focused operators because why not? Like, I don't see any downside. Yeah, sure. We're competing for the same user, 100%. But an iGaming user typically also plays on three to five other sites. So, you know, I, I, I think as much as, you know, coming from a sports background, you know, from a from a competitive sports background, you're always taught to you know, hate your rival. But at the end of the day, I believe that the best athletes out there, while part of them wants to hate their rival because they want to beat them, I always felt like the best athletes or the most successful athletes always also try to learn from their rivals. And I think when it comes to business, hey, you can be friends and competitors at the same time. Like those words are not antonyms. You know what I mean? So that's that's anyway, that's that's how I kind of think about it. As we close up, Nick, what can we expect next from Points Bet Canada? You know, I think as always, we're just going to try and and push. We're going to try and innovate. We're going to try and do things that other operators aren't necessarily thinking about doing, willing to do. We want to take some big swings. Um, I mean, that's very kind of macro, right? We we want to continue to grow and want to continue to connect with the great sports fans in Ontario. Now, ultimately. Hopefully, we have the opportunity to connect with sports fans in other provinces across the country as well, in in short order. I will say from a more specific answer, I'm personally really excited for uh, this year's PointsBet Invitational, which is our um, kind of season of champion or our major curling event alongside Curling Canada, which is in our backyard this year in Oakville. Um, September 27th to October 1st down at 16 Mile Sports Complex in Oakville. It's the first of its kind single elimination curling tournament. So you have the best curlers from across the country. Pretty much every curling tournament, Bonspiel event, whatever you want to call it, involves kind of a, a fairly complicated round robin structure. Well, what we decided to do with Curling Canada was to emulate March Madness and literally create a single event, uh, you know, a single elimination tournament. So that's going to be in Oakville. And we have some incredible surprises. We're going to bring some incredible celebrities out. Like it's going to be just an unbelievable event. So 
that personally is something I'm just so looking forward to from a from a specific points bet perspective. Excellent. Curling into the March Madness model. I love it. I love it. Where can we best follow you, Nick? And where can we best follow Points Bet Canada? Points Bet Canada, you can follow on, you know, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, like on all the major social platforms. I'm on I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn. I love those too. Not so much on Facebook anymore for you know, for for whatever it's worth. But uh yeah, I I I'm a I'm an open book, man. I, I really enjoy the LinkedIn platform. So, you know, anyone who ever wants to talk shop or want to want to learn or, or or want to teach me anything by all means uh I, I i'm always open to a great uh, random linkedin connection that's for sure excellent well not only your passion evident but your openness to learning you got to learn by trying it's been great talking to you today and i want to wish you uh, lots of success going forward andrew thank you so much and uh please continue success on on this amazing platform and podcast i've i've learned so much and i've really enjoyed uh, a, a lot of your countless interviews and, and, and I will say your, your conversation with my friend, Michael Landsberg was spectacular. And I think what Michael is doing now at sick, not weak is, uh, is unbelievable. So thank you for, for allowing him to talk about that very important, uh, I know that important, a very important project that he, that he's focused on. Well, thank you for your kind words. And indeed a shout out to Michael Landsberg. He does a great job. To the listeners, on behalf of Nick Salski, I am Andrew Applebaum saying thanks for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends Podcast. Hi, I'm Emily Roger. And I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.